the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. When it comes to your investments and retirement, in this economy, it's important to be smart. And with the Smart Investor Hour heard right here on AM 1420 The Answer, you'll get both smart and intelligent information you'll need to help with your investing. So sit back, listen, and learn with your host of the Smart Investor Hour, Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, everybody. Um, I was just told that Michael Stanley died uh, last night, and I'm sorry to hear that. I actually introduced him uh, when he played at Mountain Union College a long, long time ago. So now Mountain Union University. So to Michael uh, and to his family, we wish our best. Let's start out thinking positively, though. Strength and growth come only through continuous effort and struggle. That's Napoleon Hill, and if you haven't read one of his books, you should go down to the library right now and get one. Sometimes you face difficulties, not because you're doing something wrong, but because you're doing something right. When you, I'm sorry, here's the one I wanted. Uh, Difficulties are meant to rouse, not discourage. Human spirit is to grow strong by conflict. And then finally, hope is the only thing stronger than fear. (laughs) <laughs> anyway, um, you know, we always talk about on the show, uh, if you go to WHK 1420 and you go to the local podcast on the top line uh, and come down to the Smart Investor Show, uh, you will find uh, uh, my webpage, the Smart Investor Show, uh, you know, Tim Hayes, and it goes directly to my webpage. If you'd like, I look, I, I'm going to do a piece on dividend growth investing this time. And I'm, I'm talking about it because it's so out of favor. I think it's going to become a, a big time winner for a short period of time here. Same with the prime income list. These are dividend growers that grow con- continuously. The prime income list has a four and a half percent yield. <laughs> so that's why you buy that. Uh, but we also have the Savvy Investors Credit Handbook. Uh, I sent out two of those last week, smart people. Um, I don't think interest rates are going any lower since the lowest in history. In history, folks, okay? The Business Owner's Guide to Transition, also our Wealth Plan, our Family Inventory Workbook, our Top Ideas. We have a multi-cap portfolio, a small-cap portfolio, and ADRs, which are starting to move a little bit. And ADRs are just American Depository Receipts. There are foreign companies that trade over here, so you don't have to worry about, you know, uh, exchange rates. Um, So somebody asked me uh, yesterday, you know, you know, Tim, uh, what, what are you thinking about? And and uh, I'm going to do that at the end of the show, okay? And I, I'm going to, you know, at the last part of the show, we'll talk about it. But this is a live show, so if you have a question, you can call in. It's 216-901-0945. That's 216-901-0945. Look, uh, I was listening, I was reading, I'm sorry, not listening, to uh, there's a guy named Scott Menard, uh, Menard, I'm sorry, uh, he's the global chief investment officer at Guggenheim, and he had a really good piece this week. And he talked about, you know, in the corner of the money market and banking statistics is, is some arcane data. 
you know, bank reserves, money supply, and all that stuff. I get that. I get the St. Louis Fed letter, by the way. It's free. One of the most important metrics in the monetary theory is money supply, i.e. M2. In a simplest definition, M2 represents the amount of money in currency demand, deposit, and checking accounts in the economy, plus near, near cash. Okay. Now, to be even more arcane, the world of Federal Reserve balance sheet, the liabilities include paper money bank reserves, and the U.S. Treasury uh, account, okay? The past administration's cash management, the Treasury uh, holds about $1.6 trillion in the general account, an amount far in the excess of the pre-COVID cash balance of $400 million, billion, I'm sorry. The Biden administration has decided to use that $1 trillion uh, of this excess cash to pay for the stimulus, and that's causing M2 to soar. I mean, we're talking about 25% over the last 12 months. And, and the spike in the money supply can be explained by the massive fiscal stimulus deployed by the federal government, which was financed in large part by the creation of a lot of new money by the Federal Reserve. And this stimulus has facilitated a surge in cash holdings throughout the economy from increased precautionary savings by households, businesses, you know, state and local governments, et cetera. So as the stimulus checks go out, that cash moves into the private sector checking accounts causing M2 to balloon. That is why, if you're wondering, uh, you know, why some of the, the inflation fears are coming up. Now, if you remember Milton Freeman, the, the Nobel laureate, uh, he considered M2 money supply um, an important indicator for the future course of the economy and inflation. And if you have a spike of that, you know, if you have a flood of cash driving interest rates lower, uh it's, it's unusual. So last week, LIBOR set a record low of 18 basis points, while the Treasury bill, you know, uh, yielded three best basis points, and the two-year was at 16 basis points. However, the 10-year yield popped. So they, they can't control the 10 and the and the 30-year, uh, but they can control the lower yield. So that's something to think about. Now, with that, okay, I think, you know, we've been talking about this uh, – uh, and I had a, a gentleman call me this week, and he's talking about uh, environmental, social, and government, governance type uh, stuff. And look, somebody asked me if there's global warming, and I have no idea. Okay, I'm not that good. I, I you know, I have my personal opinion on it, but look, you can profit from it. Okay, so I'm in the business of making profits for my people based on their thoughts, their rules. Okay, so. If you think environmental, so you know ESG investing is not for you, then you don't have to do it. But look, one of the things that in ESG I think is very, very important is I look at the assets under management, and then some of these sustainable equity funds grew 65 percent in 2020. That's some serious cash, okay? So, but the key is, you know, and I've been talking about several groups lately, okay? For the last like six months, I've been talking about consumer discretionary. You know, I talked about the cruise lines this summer. I talked about the airlines. They're all up 50, 80 percent. I would not chase them right now. I also talked about oil just two months ago, the industrials. Uh, you know, I talked about auto parts. I talked about financials. One of the things I forgot to mention is that financials have been an underweight in sustainable funds. So whether, you know, this is going to change or not, I don't know. But you know, we found the global and uh, U.S.-focused stable funds tend to be relatively underweight the financial sector. 
So if interest rates stay high, they're going to be looking for banks that have high quality management, who are, are you know are looking to save the world, you know that type of thing. Uh, and you know, right now, I'm telling you, I'm, I looked at my charts all day, all this week, and I I don't have enough oil. I don't have enough regional banks. I do have the the big banks though, so that's the good news. But so what I would be doing is I'd be closely watching 2021 to see if the sustainable fund track records, you know, to see what they're adding because they are se- severely underweight the S in the, to the S and P 500 when it comes to financials. They are less than a quarter. Okay, so the net flows, the money's flowing into these ESG portfolios, folks. Okay, you know, BlackRock manages about 28 to 30 percent of all the money in the market and they are purely esg so the money's flowing there and if they decide to go with financials there could be some serious serious movement on these things so uh there you go now uh, we had dan chernison who's our head world strategist okay he's he's one of the tops in the in the area and he he said a couple things he said economies have shown some impressive resilience and data has consistently exceeded expectations since the pandemic began. Uh, and he said with, with the mass vaccinations and stuff going on, better growth environment probably is coming. And he, he recognized a variety of risks. And, you know, he talked about the, the new COVID-19 variants that are out there. And, uh, you know, some of the vaccines are proving mutations will be resistant to this already. So that, that could be the big thing. But, you know, global central bankers have reiterated reiterated, sorry about that, Saturday, uh, their commitment to maintain ultra-low interest rates for an extended period of time, which is very positive. Now, short rates are anchored low because they can control those, but they can't control the 10 to 30. Just remember that. That's why the 10 to 30 are going crazy. So global equities extended their gains to record highs in the past quarter, but the virus situation has improved, you know, And, and I think, look, one of the things that happened is, is, during this this pandemic, U.S. corporate profits continued to exceed analyst expectations, and they're not only doing that, but they're rebounding extremely rapidly from COVID-19 pandemic problems, okay? So back in March, when I was telling you to buy, you know, I the, it was March 23rd was the day I started buying. It was 24th to 25th, that Saturday, I told you, don't start to buy, okay? And people thought I was crazy, but that was the low. And and uh, I think that, uh, you know, it's been a great ride since, okay? But look, I think in the base case scenario, what Turnus is saying is that the economic recovery quickly from last year's sudden and deep recession is is here, okay? Supported by ample, you know, fiscal policy and monetary policy together. So normally when you have, you know this kind of move, uh, you get you get a pretty big pop in, in equities and the economy. So the economics of most of the developed nations appeared to be in the recovery phase, shall we call it? And for several successful quarters, once the corner has been turned, economic activity accelerates. Okay, because you have pent up demand, you have restocking, you have easy credit conditions, and the unemployment beginning to go back to work. I don't know if you saw the numbers Friday, but they were they were impressive. So corporate profits and stock prices follow the same path, collapsing the recession, rebounding, okay, that type of thing. So, look, while this is a pandemic-driven recession and subsequent recovery has been 
distinctly unique. Unique. It has been the classic pattern. Okay, you know, people when they when they were gre- they were really greedy at the beginning of the year. They're very fearful in the middle of the year, and they should have reversed it. <laughs> is what it comes down to. So, uh, but I mean, I, I'm looking at things, and I think we are just at the beginning of this cycle. So that's what I'm trying to tell you. We are not in a situation uh, where I I think that you know this, this is over. Okay. Uh, it's a four-year cycle normally. Our, our friend Rob Schleimer tells you that all the time. But look, one of the things, the inflation story, I think, goes beyond commodities. And, and commodities, I think we've started a new bull market for commodities. Okay, And I think our president is the guy who started it off in the energy. Since he cut off the pipeline, energy, uh, you know, oil was $35. It's 66 today. Mr. Biden did the wrong thing. Uh, by the way, gasoline was a dollar ninety nine. It's now two sixty nine in Ohio, and uh, I, I think that the, you know we're all going to pay for this some ways. But the, I, I think, look, if you look at the manufacturing counterparts, one of the things that we're seeing, and one and one of the groups I'd like are auto parts because auto parts are getting more expensive. That's what the, the car companies are finding. If you, you go to the the, the car lot. You know, cars, they ain't coming down in prices very much, okay? And it's, it's the same with used cars. So uh, I think you're going to start to see, you know, you're, you're going to see the ISM pricings are, are flagging the consumer price index into the 4% zone. We haven't seen that in a long time. I mean, since 07, I think, right? So uh, that's something to consider and something to think about. And I think you want to be paying very, very close attention to it. So look, I would start to look one of the why are financials going to go up? It's simple. As interest rates go up, they're borrowing money from the Fed, which they're borrowing for basically nothing. The spread is bigger. They're going to make more money. You got to understand for the last 10 years, maybe longer, you know, since the financial crisis, the Fed has been paying banks 50 basis points or a half a percentage point to just hold reserves. And so why lend money? Okay, especially with interest rates as low as they've ever been, making a half percent. Who cares, right? You don't have to make a lot of money. You just you're, you're not going to go out of business. Now they can get greedy a little bit. They can start to lend money. All right, uh, they got a bigger spread. You know they got uh, you know now you got three quarters to a point. So uh, things will get interesting. Remember, a lot of these fixed rate loans, car loans, they're all based off the ten year treasury. So if the ten-year Treasury's at one and a half percent, bingo. Okay, uh, there we go. Okay, so <clears throat> the financials. There's lots of ways to buy them. I know what to look for. You you've got to do your own homework. Remember, this is a live show. If you uh, we're gonna take a break here. The number here is two one six nine zero one zero nine four five two one six nine zero one zero nine four five. We'll be right back.
Okay, we're back. A little Midwest, Midwest Midnight with uh, Michael Stanley here. Uh, you know, gold mine production totaled 3,531 uh, 3, tons in 2019. That's 1% lower than 2018. 2020, I'm hearing, is lower than that. So, interesting. Uh, the common application is... Uh, probably one of the most widely used college applications out there with more than 900 institutions participating. The common application reported a 15, 15% year-over-year increase. Uh, its first year applica- uh, application submitted through January 5th, financial aid requests, another leading indicator of enrollment, were down 11.4%. So uh, that's kind of interesting. More than 8% of the adults in the U.S. have enough assets to fit the definition of millionaire, according to the Global Wealth Report by Credit Suisse. That works out to more than 20 million Americans. By the way, only 60% of those are uh, Caucasian, right? So uh, they're spreading the wealth around more than people are willing to uh, say, okay? Anyway, um, look, I think... uh, I've been talking about dividend growth investing since this show started back in 2000, whatever it was. Uh, And I think we're in a period where we're going to see some strong long-term returns for dividend growth stocks. Uh, I I think, you know, dividend growth, I think you want to stay with high quality. Remember, you can't fake a dividend. As long as you're paying the dividend, when you start to cut the dividend, then you know you've got to go, okay, because something's wrong. and what's, what we want to look for is high-quality companies that consistently grow their dividend. And uh, I think on top of that, um, if you have a growing dividend stream, that means you're getting a raise every year. Okay, so uh, as you retire, even if you start well before you retire, it's a slow but sure process of getting rich over a long period of time. And as you retire, uh, I think you'll find that, you know, it's kind of nice Instead, you know, one thing about bonds is you find is they're great in deflationary periods, but I think we, what we've come to is a period where we're going to have inflation, and we'll see what happens, uh, uh, you know, when that occurs. But look, there's been st- strong long-term returns for dividend stocks, and if you look at the dividend growers versus the uh, the S and P 500, they've really they've averaged about uh, uh, almost two percentage points more per year. Believe me, over 10 years, 20 years, that's a lot of money. Uh, and if you compound it, meaning you keep buying, the dividend payers, you know, are looking much better. Uh, and I think that the demographics right now are very favorable. You know, older investors tend to, you know, highly, they, they value growth in their dividend streams. They value income increases. And it's hard to get right now from any kind of other income product, uh, you know, maybe preferreds, but... So I, I think, uh, you know, like I said a couple of weeks ago, dividend is like owning a rental property. And by the way, REITs also, you know, real estate investment trusts are also trading on the New York Stock Exchange. And it's an easier way to do real estate. <laughs> so you don't have to get beat up all the time. Uh, I think, you know, you'll start to see these things trend higher. You know, a lot of people cut their uh, dividends back. Almost 10% of the companies that cut their dividend have reinstated their dividend. So that's kind of yield. Uh, that's kind of good. And I think you'll, you'll find some very attractive valuations here. Uh, and the, the yield is, you know, much higher than it, it was in 2020. Uh, and I think you're going to start to see dividend 
you know, dividend estimates start to go up. And if you look at the, what I really like to see is the relative PE valuations, uh, the dividend aristocrats versus the S&P 500 are at a very low level. I mean, uh, it's, it's a place where you really, you know, it's like two or three standard deviations below where they normally are. So I think personally that uh, dividend growth stocks are, are going to do a lot better uh, over time. And I also think uh, if you look at the dividends versus the 10-year treasury, they're still above it. So uh, the equity dividends are still above corporate bond yields. So, you know, these things are going to work in a big way. And I, I, dividend growth is important. We also look for dividend growth on our prime income list, but we're looking for bigger dividends than that one. So, uh, you know, less movement in the stock, more movement, you know, more a higher P, uh, uh, dividend port, uh, part of the portfolio. So uh, you can get those by going to uh, RBC, uh, I'm sorry, WHK1420. Go to local podcast down to Smart Investor Show and, uh, you know, Jim Hayes. And just go directly to my webpage and ask for them. Uh, you know, a lot of people have been talking about emerging markets, and they, they really are. The dollar is really important here, and the dollar's rally. And as I said, it would a couple of weeks ago. I thought it was very oversold. I thought it'd be a nice little rally, but I think emerging markets evolved over the past couple of decades, and and they they no longer rely heavily on the traditional industrial and commodity businesses. All right, and that may surprise investors who haven't studied the the uh, evolution over the last couple of years. Uh, but, you know, there's materials, there's financials now, uh, there's there's energy, there's healthcare, uh, consumer discretionary tech, et cetera. So I think, it, you know, emerging markets aren't your parents' emerging markets. <laughs> Let's put it that way. So I think you got to pay closer attention. So I don't think uh, what I'm trying to tell you is that I, I don't think you have to be uh, worried about interest rates as much as you might have been in the past. Okay, so uh, we'll leave it at that. Um, you know, I, I was looking at a couple of relationships, and I, you know, I was reading Marty Pring, and if you haven't read his books, boy, he's one of the best. Uh, I've read all his books more than once, by the way. And one of the things I looked at is technology. Um, you know, if I if I look at it as the tech-dominated NASDAQ composite. It peaked as a group in 2000, and it sank in, in, in popularity for the next three years in a big way. Since then, it's shown by, if you look at some of the charts on a relative basis, uh, it's recaptured all the lost ground. And now I'm, I'm looking at uh, some long-term indicators that are starting to flatten. And the relative strength line is starting to push above the 2000 high, and it could be hinting at a possible top, I think. so. Uh, you, you know, you, you got to pay attention to this. The other thing I looked at is is if I look at the NASDAQ tech versus oil, NASDAQ composite, you know, versus the uh, dollar sign XOI, uh, I'm seeing that the XOI is starting to win here uh, on a relative strength basis. So I think you could think about that for a while. I don't know how long this is going to last. I don't know. But if it looks like to me, the NASDAQ composite's kind of made a you know, a, a head and shoulders top. Now, the question is, is that going to take all the stocks down with it? I don't know. But stocks versus commodities, you know, even I look at that, I look at the S, you know, the Standard Poor's 500 versus uh, the DBC, the, the the commodity ETF, and the relative strength broken down. 
So it should be, uh, you know, something that you pay pretty close attention to because, you know, uh, if we have a big rally in uh, commodities, uh, you know, you can make a lot of money on commodities. Just remember, most of the commodity ETFs require a K-1. So they're, they are taxed as a collectible, higher tax than, a, than your normal ETF, okay? So you got to be careful how you buy them. It's probably better to buy the stocks of those companies. I have a whole list of them, by the way. You know, some people are worried about the 10-year Treasury yield. And, and, and I looked at the – I went back to, you know, 2011. And, you know, like the range from 2011 till 2019 was between you know, like 140 and 340. And I guess – what I'm I'm looking at is something that's normalizing, not uh, you know, not going away. Okay. The other thing is I looked at the TLT, which is the Treasury bond uh, ETF, and it's got huge support right here. All right. So uh, you know, so we're right back to support. We had a big selling climax. You know, the question is, you know, what's the relationship? Well, look. If yield goes up, uh, you know, there's been three or four times where yields went up and the QQQ went up. There's been three times where the yields went down and the QQQ went up. There are several times when the yield went down and the QQ went up. So I'm not sure there's a relationship. I, I, I don't know. Uh, you know, is the digital age going away? Uh, you know, this is different because a lot of the companies back in uh, 2000, didn't make any money. They were going up on, on air. Uh, now, a lot of the companies that we follow have been, you know, are, have cash flow, have been making money, uh, maybe not as much as everybody would like them to, but uh, their, their revenues are growing very, very fast. So something to think about. Um, and then um, the other thing I, I saw uh, is, like I said, you know, oil has gone crazy. And I think people got to understand that oil is up 100% from the election. So Mr. Biden uh, has created a gusher. <laughs> uh, and the other thing I noted, a lot of people are saying, I just use ETFs. And uh, I use stocks, ETFs, and money managers because some, some mutual funds are pretty good out there too. So don't you know, don't let them beat you up on the mutual fund side. All right. Hey, we'll be right back. This is Martin Vester Show. Remember, three two one six three zero one or nine zero one zero nine four five. That's two one six nine zero one zero nine four five. We'll be right back. When it comes to managing your retirement, it's... Okay, I think we're back. <laughs> anyway, uh, you know, this is the part of the show where we talk about the bullish percent and, and uh, risk management, okay? And, uh, uh, you know, we've been cautioning you for almost two months now, saying that we thought that at the end of February we'd have a correction. Well, it started, okay? Is it over? Mm, I don't think so. Uh, anyway, 
one thing I did, you know, look, I made a pretty good call back in um, the summer of 2019. I, I bought, I told people to buy gold stocks and gold if you want to. And uh, what I did notice this week is that gold uh, broke its uptrend line. So it is no longer in a positive trend. It's the first time since 2019 that this has occurred. Uh, but uh, it, it seems that, you know, Bitcoin has taken over for gold and we'll leave it at that. Now, what I'm about to tell you is going to surprise you a little bit, but let's start off with what is the bullish percent? The bullish percent is a risk monitor, okay? And what it does is it looks at all the point and figure charts on all the stocks on the exchange, okay? And when everything's looking good, you should be you should be cautious. And when everything's looking bad, you should be greedy. Simple as that, okay? Now, one thing I'll tell you is that there's a couple things. There's it goes from zero to 100, and when it, when it gets over 70, as it was three weeks ago, it was 76. Matter of fact, a month ago, it was 76, dropped down to 62, went back up to 676, dropped down to 63 a week ago, and popped up this week to 69, believe it or not. That was Wednesday night at the close. Unfortunately, it got creamed two days in a row, so it got down to 62. We'll see what happens on uh, on Friday. Now, McQuellen Oscillator, by the way, Tom McQuellen, um, who's a really bright guy, uh, thinks that maybe it's over. Okay, who knows? I don't know. But uh, anyway, the point is, is that uh, at 69, that's a pretty high number. Now, this comes out once a week. So for those people who are wondering about it, uh, and and so this is Wednesday night. So Thursday and Friday were kind of tough days in the market, and it got down to 63. The over-the-counter index was actually up 1.2%, which was really interesting. The world index, uh, by the way, is in a column of X's. The rest of them are in a column of O's. So it's 69% and 60% on the over-the-counter index. You should be careful. <laughs> I hope you heard that. You should be careful, all right? Re remember that distribution in the stock market occurs probably two to three times quicker than accumulation. Enough said, all right? You should be careful. We, uh, so I didn't see any... Uh, Changes to the you know the, the the positive trends or anything like that. So, now, I d I did notice something that occurred, and I I, I want to mention this is that if you if you can get an equal weight S and P five hundred fund, all right, in your four hundred one k, I think you'll do better than a capitalization weight because the capitalization weight has a lot of stocks that are overvalued right now. In Tim Hayes' humble opinion. But the dynamic asset level investing rankings that our friends at Dorsey Wright, who are the keeper of the bullish percent, they're great guys out of Virginia, uh, says that you should buy equal weight, too. So I feel pretty good about that. But if I look at domestic equities, small cap growth, mid cap growth and small cap blend are the top areas. Now, this is interesting because energy is now number one. Consumer cyclical, not number two, consumer cyclicals faded a little bit there. And technologies, number three. Healthcare, which was number four, is all the way down to the bottom four. Basic materials come after after technology, then financials, and financials had some of the best improvements. So, and industrials after that. So, it's energy is the surprise. So, commodities, energies, uh, number one. Uh, industrial metals, number two. Precious metals, number three. Agriculture is number four, but we had a lot of votes in agriculture. They went from 12 to 30 this, this week. So 
Watch those. International equities is still Asia Pacific and then Europe developed. And then fixed income, it's still preferred to convertible bonds and high yields. All right. So there we go. Uh, you know, we did have a positive week for uh, the Dow Jones. And so the momentum turned and had been negative for a pretty long time. And the EFA, which is the uh, the larger capitalization uh, international stocks, the Morgan Stanley Corporate Index, has been negative for 11 weeks. So I think there'll be a rally coming there, in Tim's opinion. The mid caps and the small caps have had four to six weeks of negative uh, momentum. And just the uh, the equal weight S&P 500 went positive, where the the regular ones been negative. It was it went positive for a week and then went negative for two straight weeks. So uh, they're really picking their, their spots here, folks. So you've got to be careful, right? Now, the best before, if I looked at the last week's actions, you know, two of the major market funds covered uh, in, in the black uh, while the remaining eight finished in the red. And the best performing was the iShares S&P 500 small cap index. Uh, and um, so that's kind of interesting. Uh, but the QQQs, you know, which had broken a double top just a week ago, now broke a double bottom. So that's, uh, you know, support's pretty far down. I mean, it broke a double bottom at 320. It's at 310 now. And uh, support's around 270, 265. So one of the, uh, be careful with the big names is what, I, what it's saying to me. Um, and then, uh, you know, I, I did see uh, a couple of things you know, in the charts that uh, of, of all the indexes that worried me a little bit. And uh, so I don't think this is over, but we did have uh, quite a few sectors that were um, still favored. But I think that uh, you'll, you'll see that I think there was 30 sectors favored here, um, but some of them rallied back up and I, I'm not sure I'd buy half of these, but uh, banking, gaming, and savings and loans are at 94. Uh, transportation, textiles, oil, chemistry, uh, or uh, chemicals, and restaurants were at 74. I still wouldn't uh, be messing with those. Building, oil services, steel, aerospace, machinery, leisure, non-ferrous metals, media, business, and housing were at 70. That's, I mean, above 70 is the red zone, right? Below 30 is the green zone. Uh Financials, uh, uh, electrical products, and, and forest and paper products were at 66. Still had weight on them. And then computers, semiconductors, gas utilities, food, and autos were at 60. I'd still wait on those, too. Uh, restaurants were at 54. Might wait on those. Uh, drugs, Internet, and healthcare were at 50. They're looking a little bit better. That's where I'd probably uh, look a little bit closer. Softwares at 44, and, and Wall Street's at 38. So I'd be paying a really close attention to those. Those are pretty good areas. Uh, although the, the curve is way to the right. All right. So, you know, what you want to do is buy these things when they're way to the left. So, you, you know, uh, I don't think you have to be in a hurry is what I'm trying to tell you. Uh, you know, I, I did see a couple names that I like uh, in, uh, well, there's a, there's a couple, there's, there is a new material that broke out last week, and uh, I like it a lot. Uh, I bought some myself, as a matter of fact, uh, but I, <laughs> I'm not going to tell you what it is. Uh, that's for my clients. Sorry, folks. So precious metals and waste management went into unfavored status this week. Biotech went to average, uh, and they really beat the biotechs up, but they really rallied 
big time the last two hours of Friday. And then um, uh, a bunch of stocks went from, you know, the most favored status to just favored. That was drugs, Internet, retail, automobiles, media and chemicals. So uh, there we go. You know, I I gave a list of uh, I think this is Harry that called me and, and said, Tim, could you just review the list of stocks uh, of the countries that are on uh, point and figure uh, buy signals. They are South Korea, Taiwan, Netherlands, India, Sweden, Indonesia, Finland, New Zealand, Australia, Denmark, and Colombia. Uh, there are ETFs for some of those. There are non-ETFs for not all of them. But, uh, you know, uh, I do think, by the way, here's the hard part. I looked at the ETFs for all of them. <laughs> all right. On the point and figure screens and uh not all the charts look that great okay some of them do some of them look just okay so that makes it even harder for you but i do have a list of names uh, a list of etfs that i really like in that area and i guess if i were a betting man uh and i looked at the fixed income indexes the u.s treasuries uh the volatility picked up in the u.s treasuries significantly last week uh to a point where I mean, the, the TNX spiked nearly 20 basis points. That's a lot, okay? And it hit 1.6. Uh, remember, just a month and a half ago, the U.S. Treasury is at 1.1%, not 1.6. That's a big move. A lot of people lost money, uh, especially if they held the bonds. And, uh, you know, if you have a bond fund, I think you're going to feel the pinch uh, coming up here. Now, the question is, you know, you got huge support here. Do, the, do they bounce? And I think what I'd be looking at is both treasury yields and also my my big tech holdings is the quality of the bounce remember what i just said there the quality of the bounce so if it goes up and starts making a lower high uh, if i were you i'd be hitting the road um just tim's humble opinion but I, you know if i looked at that asset class convertible bonds were definitely the number one place to be and uh I think multi-sector bonds, including foreign bonds, is number two, and then preferreds. Okay, uh, the U.S. Treasuries, you're getting killed in those, and the long government, you're probably getting killed in those also. Now, if I look at commodities, oil, you know, uh, which had been positive for eight weeks, then went negative for two, it's been negative for several weeks in a row now, and gold's been negative for seven. So I don't know what's going on there. Uh, maybe things are better. You know, maybe that's why they said, but copper. You know, which have been very, very strong, and then reversed uh, down. Uh, you know, I mean, this thing went from 295 to 423. And what kind of move on copper that is? That's huge. Uh, now, uh, I owned a couple of copper companies. I didn't own actually the copper. So, I think uh, you know, crude oil. Since the day Mr. Biden killed the pipeline, crude oil has doubled. That's just great. <laughs> Uh, no comment. That's, uh, that's, I made, made a political comment there. The other thing I'd, I'd, I'd say is that, uh, if I looked at some of the scores, agricultural stocks have really gone crazy on the upside and then relative strength buys. These are important. Write these down. Apache, Cedar Shopping, DXP, Enterprises, FNB Corp, Diamondback, Venice Energy, InSteel Industries, Meredith, Mercer, Murphy Oil Group. PGT Innovations, Western Digital, Spirit Airlines, Discerna Pharmaceuticals, Xenon Pharmaceuticals, uh, Armstrong Flooring, and then we just had a couple cells, and uh, mostly they were gold and bulk work. 
<laughs> hey, we're going to be right back with insiders. Stay tuned. This is Smart Investor Show. Once again, if you have a question, Be nice to okay. We're back. And if you just tuned in, this is Smart Investor Show on Tim Hayes. And uh, now we talk about insiders. Why do we talk about insiders? Because they know their company better than we do. Simple as that. And when they buy big, I'm not looking for the thousand share buyer, I'm looking for the million dollar buyer. Okay. Uh, and when they buy big, you should pay attention, right? Now, here's one that's interesting. Uh, Alpha Tech Holdings, which was uh, like a 24-1 reverse bit split a while back, and, and our analysts liked it. And uh, then, you know, they had some problems with cash flows, and uh, you know, small caps got killed from 2013 to 2000 till now. <laughs> and uh, here's Dave Pellison, who's a director, very smart guy. He buys 89 million dollars worth of the stock. Very close to a new high. Wow, that's interesting. And then a director at uh, Wayfair. Wayfair, you know, this is a, an internet retailer. Do a lot of furniture stuff. Bought thirteen point six million. Uh, and then we had Fifth Wall Acquisition. You know, uh, we're, we're finding that some of these SPACs, which are special acquisition products, do go down. <laughs> they go down fast. But he's the chairman of the board. He bought $10 million worth, and the chief financial officer bought uh, 10. 5, they bought $10.5 million. I love when CFOs buy and CEOs buy because they know the numbers. Exxon, here we have Jeff Ubin, and if you don't know who he is, he's a pretty smart guy, at a new high, buys $9.95 million worth of, of uh, the stock. Also, a director bought another $1.4 million, and I think that was that it. Yeah, I think that's it for, you know, Exxon. But then we had Enterprise Products and William Duncan Jr., whose you know, father probably was the smartest guy in oil. Uh, he buys $6.7 million worth of stock. And then he comes back. Uh, where is it? I think he bought. Oh, yeah. And then he came back and bought another um, $1.7 million worth of stock. So. Uh, you like seeing that, uh, you know, multiple buys from, uh, I think Bill Duncan Jr. is a pretty smart guy is what I'm trying to tell you. I'm sorry. He bought eight. I, I got I, Let me get this right now. He bought eight and a half million. And then he bought 6.9 million. Then he bought a million and a half. Uh, sorry, Saturday. And then uh, Satsuma Pharmaceuticals. We had RA Capital Management, which is pretty smart money, by $7 million worth. And uh, always like. You know, seeing that, and then Ironwood Pharmaceuticals. Now, this is interesting because there's a boat. You know, this thing got killed. It was a twelve dollars stock, and I think it's now ten. Uh, but we had Alexander Denny Denner, who's a pretty smart guy, buy ten million dollars worth of stock. Then he comes back two days later and buys three and a half million dollars worth of stock. Then a day later, he buys three point one million dollars worth of stock. Then he buys one point seven million dollars worth of stock. Um, you know, you 
you start to wonder, <laughs> right? You start to wonder. Uh, let's see, a couple other big ones are, um, you know, this this is a real interesting one, I think, um, uh, because it's AD, ADC is the symbol, and it's uh, Agree Realty. And uh, there was several buys here um, from Richard Agree and Joey Agree, and also John Recalta, who's the director, but Richard is the chairman of the board. But they all bought about six hundred thousand dollars worth, and uh, then uh, also uh, we had the chief financial officer of Cleveland Cliffs. You know, that was a five dollar stock went to fifteen. I mean, went to eighteen, nineteen. Now it's at fifteen. Uh, he he bought two hundred thousand dollars worth of stock, and that's the first time I've seen him buy for a while. They bought a lot. Remember, a couple years ago, and uh, nobody paid that much attention to them, which I uh, thought was interesting. A uh, couple other names that we really like here. And uh, SF Pharmaceuticals at a new high. Uh, we had uh, a director buy uh, $2 million worth. And then also uh, Mac Cali Real Estate uh, Realty is a REIT. Uh, we had uh, Activa Cats as a director buy $3.9 million and then come back and buy $2.4 million. Uh, so we like seeing multiple buys from uh, smart people, right? Uh, by the way, Landis Martin, who's also, uh, I think he's a, um, a director also, he bought uh, $400,000 worth. So we have multiple buyers. That, that's what you really like to see. And here's a name I haven't used in a long, long time. Teledyne. You know, the big uh, big defense contractor. Uh, we had uh, the uh, executive chairman buy $3.6 million worth. And then also Eric Rosenfeld from Prime Water. This was a $18 stock, now 15 very quickly. He bought $3 million. You love to see them when they come out and you know and buy at the bottom. And this Discovery Financial at a new high, uh, the CF or yes CFO bought 1.9 million dollars worth of stock, and then uh, Cortex Time, uh, which got killed, it was a 50 dollars stock, and now a 37 dollars stock. Uh, one of the directors went out and bought 1.7 million dollars worth of stock. So uh, I think the uh, the other one was uh, uh, we uh, at. Edit Toss Medicine, uh, the the chief executive officer, uh, bought $1.5 million after it got crushed. By the way, it was two buys of Teledyne, and uh, the other one was uh, the executive vice president. He bought a million dollars worth. And then one last one, Leslie Biddle, uh, who is a director at uh, Centerpoint Energy, went out and bought $900,000 worth. And I think there's a there was some bad news over the weekend for him. So it'll be interesting. And also we had uh, a, the chairman, executive chairman of Danaher at a new high by the stock, a million dollars worth and the director at uh, Lowe's uh, by a million dollars worth. So a lot of insider buyers. So here's some of the things I saw. And uh, over the week, first of all, commodities broke out against the standard Poor's 500 on a relative strength basis. That's interesting. Okay. Cause we haven't talked about commodities I mean, when I first started this show, we talked about commodities, all right? So so somebody asked me, uh, you know, climate change, Tim, do you, do you believe in it? And, I, and like I said earlier in the show, I have no idea. You know, that's for people who are smarter than me. I can just tell you, you can profit from it. You know, if they're going to go green, which Mr. Biden says he's going to, you know, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You just got to know how to roll it. Okay, so they beat up a lot of the green stocks, which is good. Oil's going crazy. Okay, which we we warned you about. So, you know, what have I seen? I've seen uh, my charts, oil stocks, mostly small cap, regional banks, auto parts, 
one good software company and consumer discretionary had led the way. They're correcting a little bit right now. Um, look, higher oil prices and higher interest rates do what to the economy? If you don't know the answer to that, you shouldn't be managing your own money. All right. The answer is they slow it down. So this is not what our friends at uh, the Federal Reserve want. They don't want to see oil prices double since November 5th. Okay. They don't want that. Uh, now, I did see a lot on Friday of rat tails. Now, what's the last rat tail? After a serious decline, we, we have a day where they go down a lot, and then they close at the high on high volume. It usually indicates the end of a move, okay? And I saw a lot of them. <laughs> I counted 57 of them and I, uh, as I did my charts this morning. So 57 is a lot of them. And a lot of them are in uh, pretty high-quality technology stocks or healthcare stocks. So we'll see what happens. But uh, uh, look, I think you got to understand something right now. You know, Lori Calvacina's work, uh, she's our head strategist, has told us time and time again that most managers, most hedge fund managers, are still hedged 50%. Meaning they're not long. Okay, so we had this big move, and they were probably getting killed on the short side, but they're hedged. So you got to think about that, okay? And look, I think, you know, the other thing I'll mention again is the TLT, or the Treasury Bond ETF, is at major support. Uh, so be careful there. Gold continues to sell off, so I, I'm not sure what the reason is. But, you know, one of the things that we've seen since Mr. Biden's come into office is gasoline was at 199 it's now at 279 all right i just drove by this morning so uh that's something you know that's that's not <laughs> that's going to slow the economy down people have to spend more money for gasoline you have to think about that for a while and uh look the other thing i saw was pure value the relative strength of pure value which is an etf by the way versus pure growth has gone positive that's the first time in eight years, all right? So, you know, those are some things that you have to think about. And I think, you you know, some of the other things that I'd be thinking about is this. We are in a structural bull market, okay? Usually these things last 17 years. We are about, well, I mean, uh, Rob Schleimer thinks it started in 2017, Bob Dickey's 2013. So we're somewhere between, you know, we've got 10 years left probably. So if you look at some of this, okay, and, and if you, you think about it, you know, we could be at 13 and a half, 14,000 on the S&P by the time this thing's over. Chance to make you rich. Chance to make you rich. So just remember that. In the meantime, I do think dividend stocks are cheap. So go to WHK1420. Go to local podcast down to Tim Hayes. You can get to my webpage from there. There, you can, if you go into insights, there's a lot of good material there. Uh, Bob Dickey's no longer available. He retired, as you may recall. But you can ask for the dividend growth portfolio, the prime income list. We have our multi-cap list, which is not to cover off the ball, our small cap list, our foreign stocks, our ADRs. Also, the business guy, owner's guide to transition, savvy investor uh, credit handbook the Wealth Plan, and Family Inventory Workbook. In the meantime, 
Have a great weekend. It's supposed to be in the 60s next week. We'll see. <laughs> Welcome to Ohio. This is Tim Hayes, the Smart Investor Show, member of Buy Low and Sell High. Have a great weekend.